Welcome to the Brick Business Show, where we talk about Lego investing, Lego reselling, entrepreneurship, and how people all around the world are using the thing that they love, Lego, to create an income and build a business. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to BrickBucks Live, and I am super, super pumped for today's episode. I'm here with just a brick in the bucket, Evan and Paul. And uh, guys, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank, Thank you, you for, so having for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Shane. Man, I'm I'm excited about this. I I so I've been a I've been a silent just a brick in the bucket fanatic for the last couple months. You're the videos that I put on when I'm cooking. I don't know why that became. Oh really? <laughs> when I'm like I'm chopping like vegetables and I have an iPad next to me, I'm watching your vlogs. So, uh, but for for those who have never uh, seen the guys on YouTube, uh, do you want to just give a quick kind of a you know, just a minute of a backstory or like introduction. Sure, um, uh, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I guess I can tell your part of the story. Evan started the store. Sure. <laughs> uh, way back, I don't know how old were you. I, I was don't know. In like Six to seven years ago now. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of shut it back down, <clears throat> and then almost two years ago. <clears throat> yeah, near two years um, ago now, we uh, we decided we were going to open up the Bricklink store again and sell Lego uh, on a bigger scale than we had previously done before. And that is how we kind of grew now. And yeah. uh, somewhere along the lines, uh, I said, oh, let's post a YouTube video. And we did. And then, uh... <laughs> yeah, that, that video needs to be redone. But um, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we started in a tiny, in the back of a, sorry, the back upper loft of a storage unit on like a tiny little wall. And then we uh, moved into this garage and we kind of cleared out all my parents' junk. Uh, thankfully, they were willing, uh, they allowed us to do that. But uh, now we uh, have the whole garage, we finished it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy how much, how much we've grown, so. Yeah, and when you say finished, so you had a, like a, a was it a three-part video where you walked through finishing that garage? And yeah, like that in yeah. terms of, of setting up and then, you know, first starting a Brickling store, that stuff was is such incredible content, right down to like cutting the wood for the framing of the wall behind you, which was, it was fantastic stuff. And so I guess taking it back to, to the beginning. So um, Evan, when you had the original store, um, like why did you stop at that point? Was it a case where you kind of never really intended on growing it much? It was more of a hobby at the time or was it? you know, a different marketplace and some challenges at that time or, or what was kind of going on there? Yeah. So when I initially started from the very beginning, um, I was still in high school. Uh, my parents didn't want me to get a job or anything. They wanted me to focus on school. But in my mind, for whatever reason, from a young age, I'd always wanted to make money. And that was like always a, a goal of mine. For I guess it's a good goal. But um, so this was an idea that came to me and I, I found out about it. I think I saw like Bricks on the Dollar and uh, Bricksar and like a few other little YouTube things. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. So I wanted to do that and I thought I could make money doing this. So yeah, I started in the beginning and it started in my closet. It was really small. And then uh, I probably did it, it for the first little iteration, I guess, of my store for about a year. And at that point I had started to slow down. Um, you know, I bought a like 20, probably 20 pounds, I think, of used Lego. And I just listed each piece individually on Bricklink, how it all started. And I got to a point where, you know, I never crunched the numbers. I'm sure I wasn't making money because the shipping was too cheap and all these things. But I got to a point where it was like, uh, it just didn't make sense for me to um, 
continue running out of my closet because I had so many other obligations and things I was trying to do, whether it was at school or after school things and stuff like that. So I slowed it down. Not that it was ever big or like fast moving, but I, I pretty much shut it down and said, I'm going to be done. I can't grow out, out of my closet right now. It's just, you know, I had four of these Acromill units. That's all I could fit in there. Um, and I just decided I, I kind of had to stop after that first time. It just didn't make sense. And then, um, after that, uh, Kyle, who's not here with us right now, um, him and I have another company and we had a storage unit uh, for that company and there was extra room in there. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to start BrickLink again. And I was now able to have, I think, seven units. So I could have three more Acro Mills, like the, the drawer things, because um, there was a little more room on this extra wall that was in there. And so I did that for a little while and then again, got too busy and found that it was inconvenient to have to drive to storage two times a week to just pick an order that was like a part and a half or two pieces or whatever it might be. Um, so that opened and closed a few times. Uh, so it was mostly just, uh, I got too busy with other stuff and never saw it potentially getting to a scale like it is now where we could be making you know actual money. Uh, mm -hmm. So it just felt inefficient and my interest would go in and out, I guess, with each, each version of the store. Right, yeah, yeah. And I guess like one thing that I've I, like, I'm not running a Brickling store myself, but one thing that I've observed is like there, there seems to be that that risk when you start off that you, you need to kind of get over. It's almost like a rocket and the difficulty of, of the first couple of seconds of liftoff and how much more thrust it needs. But then when it gets, you know, to a certain level, it can soar, you know, a lot easier. Like, is, is there do you think that there's a case with Bricklink that like there is a big risk of of not being successful in the beginning, but if you can push past a certain part, you know, then you'll get the momentum and, and snowball effect, I guess, to, to carry you over. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, and this is something we did a stream with Chris from Great Brick Lab uh, not that long ago, and we, we kind of had a pretty similar question there. And it was, you know, it really kind of comes down to the hobbyist versus the business mindset of whether you're going into this as a, as a fun thing to do on the side whether you're going into this with the express intent to grow. And I think that a lot of people, um, I know maybe they get dis, they get, you know, disencouraged early on um, or something like that. And so they never really develop that mindset. But I do think if you push past, you know, kind of the very beginning and you have it's you make it well organized and you put a lot of effort into kind of the peripheral things, um, you know, you can grow. I mean, we, we've grown pretty fast. I mean, some of that, I think, had to do with COVID and a lot more people staying inside. But I mean, definitely, I think that the kind of growth we experienced isn't unrealistic if you have, you know, focus on it and make it something that you want to do. Something else right. is you compared this to a rocket launch. And I actually love that. But we are nowhere near the app, like out of the atmosphere yet or anything like yeah. we, we have just, you know, we're airborne. But we're not that far off the launch pad, I don't think, um, which because I, I know a lot of people look at the channel and look at us and say, like, oh, I want to be like them. And that's cool and stuff. But, you know, we see other things where we're like, oh, we need to be, you know, thousands of dollars more per month or we need to be adding 50,000 pieces a week or whatever, like all these goals that we're seeing that we're not hitting right now. Um, and a lot of people look at us and are like, oh, we need we want to be that big or something when. I know for us, we are, yeah. we're very happy where we're at and that we're continuing to grow, but we know we're nowhere near that end goal with this, uh, with this store. Wow. Yeah. And like, it's obvious from your content as well, that you guys are like, you're really good at like 
accountability toward your goals for setting goals firstly which is something that you know i think it's 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 not talked about enough um with e-commerce in general is like holding you know setting yourself goals and targets and then trying to drive your you know your accountability toward that stuff and you guys openly talk about your goals of of how many lots you know lot counts you want to get to and how many parts you want to add and stuff which you know i think is commendable that that alone is something that people should take away from watching your content um it's just because if you hold if you have that accountability and hold yourself to those numbers and then you you know you just forecast things out I th you know you're, you're much more likely to to get there because you, you'll have that drive um that's pretty great so I definitely want to come back uh, to, to some of that stuff in terms of your goals and, and the work that you're doing to get there. But coming back to the, the, the beginning a little bit. So, Paul, how was your like, when did you get involved with it? How did you kind of first hear about, you know, what Evan was doing with his first store and what was your thoughts initially? Was it a kind of like this is a bit of a strange like thing, you know, or well, did you have a background with Lego or? Evan and I have been friends since, I don't know, I was two and he was three or something like that. Um, our parents tell us apparently we met because I punched him in the face uh, at the park. I think it was but, a uh, Yeah, something like that. But anyway, um, I had, I remembered back when he was doing it the first time, but I, I never really got into it then. I ended up getting into it sometime when we were still in the storage unit. Um, I, I think it was what like happened, late 2019 when I was uh, getting ready to start again. Yeah, I, I think what happened was I had just come over to the storage unit for something. We, we were working on. I was involved in one of their uh, other companies, not not as like an owner or anything. I was just helping with a specific thing, I think. And I'd come by storage and I saw all the Legos and I was like, "Wow, did you know? Did you restart your store and stuff?" And then it just kind of started talking, and he had me part out. I think it was uh, right. the Harry Potter graveyard or something like that. Um, and uh, I just kept continuing to work. And then over time, we kind of had a discussion where we we're like, you know, do we actually want to do this? You know, um, and I offered up my garage because um, my parents are on a two year, well, now almost three year road trip uh, trying to visit all 50 states. So the house is kind of empty. Um, so I offered up the garage and, um, we decided to move in here and that's kind of when I became involved more as an owner, um, and managing stuff and yeah, but in terms of thinking how fast, how much it could grow, I definitely never thought that within a year we would be, you know, as far as we were. And then within two years, as far as we are now. Um, and Evan is right in saying that it's definitely not as much as we could have grown, you know, but I think hindsight's 2020 or hi, yeah, hi, <laughs> hindsight's 2020. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and, and now I definitely view it as, uh, if not a career, definitely very close to a career. So, mm -hmm. and that like, you know, what you brought to the table with that, with that garage, that's, that's a big deal, right? Because BrickLink is the kind of thing that it needs to, it, you know, needs, your space needs to be customized in some ways, right? You're, you build a wall here right down the middle of the, of the room and, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're changed the whole, the whole space and that's not something you'll be able to do out of a storage unit. So, yeah. you know, aside from all of the other challenges <laughs> with a storage unit, um, that's, you know, that's pretty awesome that you have that space that you can customize and kind of build in, which by the way, I don't know how you guys have, have like maximized the space as, as well as you've done. Because like you've done, you know, some videos in the past where you've kind of walked around and shown 
your setup with the shipping station and you know stuff like that it's 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 a lot of like of really smart use of a small space really that you, that you, you, figured, that you figured out uh, which is great so um so two years kind of running the, the, the store together um which is pretty good pretty pretty um awesome so far the um i guess like there's going to be a lot of people watching here who have never started a brickling store and you know they don't know much about it and they're kind of wondering is it something that they should consider or, or you know or explore themselves and um say, like over the course of those two years what are some challenges i guess what are some of the big things that you found that maybe this wasn't what we expected you know when we just when we set out to do this um this was maybe we thought it was going to be uh easier in certain areas than what it turned out to be um i would say one of the biggest things and i'm, I'm not sure if it's what you were thinking of is consistency with motivation mm -hmm. um absolutely that's one of the biggest challenges and considering that until kind of now, like now, Paul, this is what he does. He's in the store full time. Um, but myself, I still have other obligations out, outside of here. So when I come home after working or whatever, and I'm tired, it's making sure that we're still consistently saying we have to add pieces this week. There need to be new parts in for people to buy. We need to make sure the orders come out or leave same day. Yeah. It's being consistently motivated to do stuff. Wow. It's like if it was only a month or two, uh, you know, you like the first, I don't know, maybe probably six or seven months. We were we in were here hauling, all the time. Yeah. We were going. It was no problem at all. But you do hit a point where even though you're still enjoying it and you're having fun, it's like all of a sudden, oh, you, you hit this wall. You're tired. You know, you want to just not give up, but you need a break. And not that it, you can't ever have a break, but it's important to not not look at it as, oh, it'll figure itself out if I just take a, a week and a half, two weeks off here because. Uh, that is not true. You you need to definitely uh, have that motivation to continue adding stuff. I would say yeah. that's actually one of the biggest challenges. I, um, I would sure. say that every time, okay, like 80, 80 to 90% of the time that there's been a problem in the store, its root cause has been motivation. Like, I mean, obviously there have been other things, you know, orders get messed up or whatever, but you know, uh, especially on BrickLink, we want to do some more research into this. But I mean, we theorize that the whatever algorithm or whatever, however the wanted list works, really, really pays attention to how much you are adding and how consistently. And, um, you know, that that is definitely something that you really need to stay on top of and owning your own business. And, you know, Evan's other business, he has clients. So in a way, there's people you know, that, that he's accountable to here. I mean, we're accountable to our customers, but if we just closed, you know, it, it's, it's less of a, it's, it's a different type of accountability, I guess you could say. So definitely motivation. But if you're looking for more of a, I, I guess a, a hard answer rather than like, you know, a self answer, um, I would say the, the market research, we definitely just kind of jumped into it without, entirely understanding who it is we're selling to, right? You know, it's like you sell to these customers and they buy your Lego. And for the long time we were wondering, you know, do you think we're selling mostly to other stores? Do you think we're selling to, you know, mom buying parts for her kid? Do you think we're buying to the, do you think we're selling to the kid? You know, all these kinds of questions and all of that information is really important to know. Um, and also just the new and used for a long time, we were buying tons and tons of new 
at very high quantity, like eight plus of a set of the same set and parting that out. And that was probably a mistake um, because we just didn't have the variety, right? It was super great for early growth, but eventually we hit a point where it was the same people buying all the time, or it was just people buying the same parts because we did not have the diversity to compete. So then we switched gears and did a complete 180 and you're like, okay, we're going to add used, nothing but used, focus on variety. And that was also kind of a mistake. So if I could kind of give one piece of advice to anybody who's trying to start a store, it would be to find a good middle ground between quantity and variety. Because if you only have one of a piece, then very, then if someone wants 10, they're not going to buy it. And if you only have 10 pieces in your store, but a thousand of each, then all the people that want any other piece aren't going to come to your store. So that's, I guess, if I could drill it down to like a single thing is you need to know what people want, who your customers are, and um, how you can get the stuff that they want. Yeah, that's been one of the hardest challenges. And we still, every single day, we, we make a new discovery and we're like, oh, that's why this person bought this. And it's all beginning after a year and almost two years now. It's all beginning, I think, to add up to, to form this picture as to who we're actually selling to and why people are buying certain pieces over other pieces. And the other day or yesterday, I think we, we were both in here and we were looking at orders and we were looking at this one order and comparing why this person bought all used pieces except for these like four new pieces. Um, and we're trying to figure out, do they buy the tiles new because they don't, they're not scratched in theory. So we were trying to figure all those things out, but uh, there's been a lot of challenges for sure, but figuring out, the way to run your store almost, you know, the non-technical, like, oh, this is how you ship an item. The That's the stuff that's difficult that I would say we still don't have figured out all the way. Well, yeah. Uh, okay. So I want to unpack like a couple of these points because yeah, that, like, sorry. This is, but this is a depth that I think is really, really interesting because it is like, it's really peeling back, you know, the curtain a little bit on stuff that people don't talk as much about when it comes to running a, a brickly store of course people do talk about lock count versus piece count and that like is the the breadth versus depth um mm -hmm. conversation but like how, how do how do we find that balance right like when we're you know we're, we're trying to, to to appeal to uh such a you know i guess to anyone who's looking for the pieces that we have how do we make sure that we have uh more buyers by going broader but the quantity to, to bring people in who need that higher quantity. Um, it sounds like it's an ever-growing challenge. But real quick on the on the motivation um, stuff, which I think is is such an interesting point because I like this exists in in my business and in anyone's e-commerce business. I think as well is that there's there's parts of the business that it's easy to be motivated about, and I personally find like fulfilling orders to be easy to be motivated about because I have a deadline. And it's the kind of thing that I just don't have a choice, right? I, like I've got to get this to the post office. It's got to go out today or tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to just, like, I like I like working the deadlines. So it's very easy to be motivated. But then when it comes to growing your business, that's more, it's, I guess it's kind of optional at times, right? Like we could add another X amount of parts this week or, you know, we could sleep, right? So do you find that there's certain things in the business that you are way more motivated for? And there's certain things that like, this is the kind of the biggest drag um, that you struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the packing orders, exactly like you said, you know, we, for the most part, have a clause that says if you order by one o'clock PM, uh, 
depending on the size of the order, obviously. If you order by 1 o'clock p.m., we're going to ship it the same day. And so that alone is a big motivator for, for the orders mm -hmm. to get out. Um, but then when it comes to like lack of motivation or the struggle to continue being motivated, it's it's the things, at least for me, for me that get really repetitive. Mm -hmm. um, so it's adding pieces um, and specifically adding maybe used pieces. So you take, you know, like a, a bag out that is cataloged. It's been sorted. It has a file with it. And uh, Paul makes the catalog file, but I, I usually add the parts. But and then it's pouring out the bags and then, you know, having all the pieces and looking at the file and double checking the count and then the consolidation you walk back to the wall and back to the computer it's it's the repetitive stuff like that that personally for me that motivation is a struggle there because while yes it is growing the store and it's you know allowing more buyers in theory to come in and potentially make a purchase there's not an instant direct thing that i see exchange or exchange that makes it like oh cool we got a sale or whatever the closest thing to that is looking at the lot count and the piece count and watching that go up. Mm -hmm. And that's why, even though, uh, and spoiler maybe for those who have followed the channel, we're not going to hit our goal <laughs> for this the end of this month. It's not going to happen. Uh, at this point, I think, considering today's what, 29th, there's one more day left. It's physically impossible. Yeah. Um, hey, hey, if, if we hang up now <laughs> and really get started. <laughs> I don't know. But so we're not going to hit that goal. But the fact that we had that goal at all has helped us get so much closer to that goal. Yeah. Had we not set that goal, I don't know where we would be right now. But, but we it wouldn't definitely be wouldn't be where we are or bigger. It'd be for sure smaller. So just that random piece of paper that I printed out three or four months ago and stuck to the fridge and said, that's our goal. That alone has been a huge motivator for some weird reason. And I'd say YouTube as well. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. accountability with us to an extent. Like, you know, if Paul doesn't do something one day or, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll yell at each other a little bit. But it's like we want to, if we say we're going to do something, we really want to try to do it so we don't look bad in front of the 4,000 plus people audience we have or whatever, which I guess is a weird way to look at it. But for sure, YouTube and the accountability that the viewers can hold us to has also definitely helped yeah. with that motivation to continue growing the store and making this much bigger and better than, than we had initially and, thought. And you definitely brought up a, a good point there. I don't know about you, but if, if it had just been me running the store, it would have closed down you know, a few months <laughs> into it. And I, I don't know, but I assume with Evan, you probably would have lasted more than, than two months. But, you know, it probably still would not be as big as it is now. And we're definitely pretty rough with each other when it comes to not fulfilling things. And that definitely is another big motivator, especially because we're roommates. So if Evan sees me sitting in the living room, not being in the <laughs> store when I'm supposed to, you know, it's, it's very difficult to call out sick uh, when your roommate is, you know, uh, your coworker. So... Yeah. Um, you know, that, that <laughs> so definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great point. You know, so anyone who has kind of a business partner or anything, you, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta meet the, I guess the, the deadlines that you set on each other. Right. Which is, which is great. Um, and I guess like Evan, you mentioned that those first few months as you started, it was much easier to have that motivation. Is some of that because your piece count and lock count is growing so fast when you're not making as many sales. But then when you're selling a lot more, you're kind of just re replenishing the stuff that you're selling. And so sometimes it can feel like you're running in place unless you do a lot more. Definitely. We uh, went in January of 2020 to uh, into March of 2020 and we added like six. Well, we added well over, but we went from essentially 9000 pieces up to over 65000 pieces. And in a two month period, only parting out new sets, that was 
very good, actually. And it was so easy because we weren't getting tons of sales. Not that we're getting tons of sales now, but you know, every order that comes in, you know, the other day we had a thousand piece order in like 400 lots and they bought out 200 of those lots. So it's like, ah, you know, we were so close to 10,000 piece or 10,000 lots in the store and we just lost 200. And now it's like, we have to spend a whole day just replenishing uh, 200 lots. So there's right. definitely that, uh, that in the beginning, it was easier to continue adding because you saw that growth quicker. Um, mm -hmm. But in addition to that, I think it was something new and something exciting way off, right off the beginning. So uh, I would definitely say, and not to say I'm not enjoying it, but it's less exciting now than it was right when we started. Um, yep. Within reason, I guess. I guess the exciting part now is that we're realizing this can become something where this is just our job and this is how we make income and stuff like that. So that there is that exciting part and the concept of like uh, the next goal, we get to move out of the garage and go you know, actually rent a place and all that kind of stuff. So there, there's definitely uh, little exciting things coming up. But in the first few months, it was just so new, so exciting that we had a, a space and all of a sudden we were yeah. buying so many Acro Mills units because they were so cheap. And like all of these things uh, were so exciting that it, it motivated way off the beginning for that. Acro Mills being cheap. Acro Mills being cheap. That was the motivation. <laughs> yeah, good, good old days. You guys had um, notifications on for when Acro Mills drawers in used condition came online, right? For on Amazon? Uh, no, actually, I haven't had notifications. I would just check it like two or three times a day. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's how you do it. Like if you could save, yep. like save wherever we can in these businesses. Um, so I want to just kind of quickly um, say hi to a few folks in the mm -hmm. chat. Um, so we have Ben, Fred from Hillian's Bricks is here, Xavier, Starkiller, Chris. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Ben's Bookstore, My World Ecom. What's up, Matt? Daddy O's Bricks, Jedi Brick. Hello, everybody. Uh, we had a question here from Fred when we were talking about the garage. What happens when the parents come back? Is that kind of so, when you're going to be moving or expanding out? Well, they... We're going to uh, find out real soon. No, the house is... It's a house, and then attached to the house, there's a studio apartment. So that's actually where Paul lived when we moved into the garage. Um, but now we rent the whole house, excluding the studio. So the garage is fine when they come back. They actually came back for a few months in uh, twenty early twenty twenty one. So they and they live in the studio for the time when they're here, and we have the house. So it's actually all okay. <laughs> yeah, they, um, we we worked it out so long term we could potentially be in the garage if needed. But the goal is to hopefully be able to move out of the garage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was some other interest in that as well. Ben Ben's brief story. Um. Change the locks from Rich. <laughs> That's an option. <laughs> so um, I wanted to touch on, because Paul, you mentioned um, partnership, obviously, as being the thing that like helps with accountability. And um, not many people that we've talked to here on, you know, in this in these live shows have had partners in their business. So I, I definitely wanted to explore this a little bit in terms of um, of like the dynamics there. And I know you guys are really good at setting up, you know, different um, roles, I guess, for, for, you know, like each of you kind of take care of different things. Is that the case? I, I know, Paul, you do more of the cataloging. Is that right? Or Yeah. Um, basically, we kind of uh, assign a role to ourselves and then do that until we just cannot stand it anymore. And then we'll kind of, you know, figure out something new. But for quite a while, I've been doing the cataloging. I don't remember 
why I started doing the cataloging. I think I was just fed up with parting out new sets. <laughs> um, and so I decided I'll do something new and or something used and uh, started cataloging. Um, and now it's just Evan has not done nearly as much cataloging as I have. So I'm just way faster at it. Um, and that's probably why I keep doing it. But yeah, we, we kind of just assign roles. Evan handles the coupons and feedback. I usually check the emails in the morning. Um, and then before I clock out, um, I usually do refunds as well. Although sometimes Evan gets to that before me. Um, we both do everything. And if yeah. we needed to, like if Paul is going on vacation, I can catalog during the week or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. But uh, I think we found there's, if with efficient, it's a little more efficient if Paul focuses on cataloging packs orders and then focuses on cataloging and a few other minor things. And then I focus on adding those pieces in addition to adding the other pieces that other catalogers have done. Um, and I think it's helped us to stay organized a little bit with I'm consistent how I add the parts and Paul's consistent how he catalogs. Um, so it, I think that's actually helped uh, streamline a few things as opposed to us splitting the work completely in half. Mm -hmm where I think it would actually be a little more difficult for us to stay focused on every right. little thing there is to do. So you kind of want to like, make sure that you both have a, like you both know how to do everything in the business, right? Like if one of you was out for a month, the business mm -hmm. wouldn't come to a halt, you know? And so you, you think it's like important that you both have a hand in everything, but just to, to streamline and, and I guess lean into your skill sets and what you're faster at or, or quicker at or whatever. Um, that you still kind of divide things up, but still kind of know what the other's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely true. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, is there any? Um, uh, I guess, like, in terms of partnerships, and like, if there's anyone here watching who thinks I'm going to start a business with a friend, is there any watchouts or anything that you would say? Like, is there anything? Keep this in mind. Uh, FYI, because there is obviously it is difficult at times to um, work with someone who you're friends yeah. with and, you know, spend all that time together, especially if you're roommates, too, I imagine. Right. Yep. Anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've we've been on each other's nerves for the past 20 years, though. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I think yeah, we're used that's to that. Scary. But um, uh, I would say one of the biggest things is Paul and I have this incredible ability to legitimately be yelling at each other and fighting and so angry with each other one minute. And then once that discussion's over, we can turn around and not even yeah. kidding within a two minute period, be laughing about something. Um, and so that dynamic I think has helped tremendously when we're stressed because we spent way too much money this month or whatever, and we're fighting in the store or bickering or whatever. But the minute we go into the house and we're, we're just living, it's fine. Um, yeah. And I think that's helped a ton. Basically, if you can't leave your, if, if you have a friend and you're unable to leave your arguments on the clock out, then you probably should not go into business together. Um, and, and I mean, a pretty easy way to tell this is what's the longest stretch you've not talked to your friends because you've been angry at them, right? If the answer is, you know, over something that really is kind of trivial, if it's more than a couple of days, then you probably should not, you know, go into business together. Um, other things would be like being unable to apologize, which is definitely something that I struggle with. I struggle to admit I'm wrong, but Evan will call me out on it and be like, no, you're wrong, you know, and then kind of push me until I apologize. But, it, you know, th that's kind of a, a big watch out for a business partner and anything, not just a friend. But if 
you know, business is kind of built on it continuously admitting you're wrong and then picking something new, you know, you should not stick to doing a process a certain way simply because it's what you've always done. You always need to be ready to adapt. And someone who struggles to admit that the way they wanted to do something is wrong is going to have a tough time with that. Right. Um, yeah, we're also, I think we're totally fine having difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when it comes to, and I think, I guess it's because of our friendship that's mm -hmm. been so long. And because we literally, from the beginning of our lives, essentially, we're friends. It's like we've grew up together almost as brothers. So it's like we can call each other out on anything. Mm -hmm. I think that has been a tremendous help. It, it, just being able to to talk about anything and call someone out on something. Because there's a lot of friends I have that I would not call out when they do something stupid that, you know, whatever, just because it's, it's, it's rude, I guess, essentially, or it, it would cause a little bit of conflict. But I do a I, lot of stupid <laughs> stuff, so he's gotten he's gotten pretty used. Yeah, to I've gotten it, used so. to it. I don't know. Um, and we both do it to each other, though. Yeah, I think that's the, a, the biggest thing, though, is the communication between us. While it's not the smoothest, there is communication there. Um, right. We we do know what's going on for the most part, and we can talk to each other and stuff like that. So that's also, extremely important. Also, something else. Um, I don't think we want to go into exact percentages, but we're not fifty fifty, and. Be, us being able to just accept that that is the case and there was no argument over that. We both understood basically exactly where those percentages should lie without argument. And that definitely was a very good sign in, in a business because we are able to fairly value our work is kind of what I'm going towards. We, we know how much we're actually worth and how much we've actually contributed. And it goes both ways. Yeah, there. Sorry, I know you're probably trying to move on to the next question, but uh, there was, there's, um, I think we are able to, and this is something that took a little while, but we're able to, instead of just thinking about what we want personally and emotionally, we're, we can always take a small step back and look at the conversation we're having and be a little logical about it and be like, oh, that actually, you know, I want to be right because I like how we do it and it's easier and I don't want to change. But logically, for the grand scheme of things, it makes sense the way you're saying it or whatever it is. Um, so thinking logically as opposed to emotionally, which I know for me, for both of us, yeah, was, yeah. is a challenge. Um, but that's that's something I've learned in the past year and a half or so doing this that like for sure has changed me just in in realizing we can we need to communicate on a logical level as opposed to just the ego getting in the way and being like, I want to be right yeah. or whatever. Wow. Okay, so th this was this is was such a fantastic answer, and I like I hope some folks watching um, really pays attention to this. If you're like even with if it's not Lego related, if you're ever in a partnership, because this stuff is all really really applicable, and like you know taking that emotions out of that out of like trying to think logically about every discussion, <laughs> trying to you know make up quickly whenever you have an argument or a dis or a dispute, understanding that that stuff is natural and will happen. Um, understanding the roles and the breakdown, depending on ownership and how that cascades down into workload and day to day. This is all really, really good stuff. Um, thank you guys for that one. Um, when it comes to, I guess, like we kind of touched on it a little bit, but time management, right? I see this as being one of the things that is the biggest challenge for a lot of people with Bricklink, right? It is a time consuming business because of that fact, you know, we need to source product that has a big enough margin that will account for that time 
and um you know and really manage time effectively and from your content guys like when it comes to efficiency i'm i love efficiencies i'm the guy who tries to find like how can i put the tape dispenser in a place where i don't have to move my arm as much like i'm a, i'm a, an efficiency guy so watching your content about how you set things up when you change the brick the the aisle of um for anyone who hasn't seen the videos but the aisle of drawers um full of parts behind the guys there uh, they change them to be more efficient at picking the, the the parts as they walk down the aisle so that they don't have to walk down and back up again to to source the parts stuff like that is is so important for you know for saving time and it seems like the kind of thing that well how much longer is it going to take me to walk back down the aisle it can't be that long but over the course of doing this every day again and again and again it all adds up right and again you know, I think this is something that not enough people really put enough time into thinking about when they're building mm -hmm. an e-commerce business, right? Like, how can I make every little efficiency that will will compound upon itself, like each other, to to give you time, right? To give you extra time. So, I want to oh. dig in a little bit on this whole idea, right? About about the efficiencies and the way you guys think about efficiency and how important it is um, in your business. So, I guess. Are you both crazy about efficiency? I see you laughing there. Is one of you the driver? No, not, not at all. We <laughs> Lazy is probably the wrong description, but Evan and I, the, I think the efficiency comes from the fact that uh, the faster we can be done with a task, the faster we can be done with it because we don't like it. I think that at least that's just <laughs> part of it. It's probably a bad way to say it, but like... You know, it's actually, we don't view ourselves as being very efficient people at all. We we are um, inefficient sometimes because we talk about efficiency more than we're doing anything. Yes. Like we and we we've started we've stopped doing this. If we're in here and him and I are having a discussion about something, even if it has to do with the store, but we're not both actively working on something, we stop the conversation because it doesn't make sense. But we are constantly talking about how can we be more efficient doing this and this and this and this and and especially over the past like two weeks, actually, we're like listing crazy ideas, but then we're not actually doing anything. So I think that is what comes up with the better ideas is like trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But um, no, with efficiency, we are very good at being inefficient about solving efficiency issues. Um, but uh, no, with, with like this, with the ILA, that was one of those things where we'd seen it done somewhere else. It wasn't us that came up with it and stuff. And I, it was one of those ego things where, not an ego thing, I guess so, whatever, but uh, like, I didn't like the idea of it. To me, I liked walking down the aisle and back up the aisle. Like it just, it just felt good. I don't know. I'm not sure what it was, but like you said, how much time does that actually take? And so we, we figured that out and we said, okay, we need to actually, you know, shift the wall over and rearrange every single Acre Mills unit so that we can pick this from right to left and only walk down the aisle once. Um, so I think your question was was how do we solve inefficiency issues or or how how do we come up with the efficiency things and how, why is efficiency important important to us? Um, I think that's kind of what this question was. I'm so sorry. Is that what the question was? Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Like how important is it to you guys? And you know, and where does that kind of stem from? Um, you know, when like how did it how did it become an important part of your business? Yeah. So it it started for sure with like the little shipping station thing. It mm -hmm. was initially there were envelopes over here and a box over here. Like things were everywhere. So it was like organization wise, it didn't make sense and it was hard, but then it was like, we couldn't pack an order in 30 seconds or 45 seconds or whatever it takes because we couldn't find the box or the tape didn't have a home 
Um, so like you mentioned, the tape dispenser closest. We don't have a tape dispenser that has less arm room, but we have a spot where the, the tape goes. So if we pull out a box and we flip it over and we start to build it, we know where to reach for that tape. Mm -hmm. um, and little things like that totally help. So I think it's mostly actually us finding an issue and then asking, how can we fix that issue? Um, and so the IOA we knew was one of the ways we could fix the issue of us taking so much time. It was also something we had started to to realize in order to expand, we can't walk up and down an aisle and then turn the corner and walk up and down another aisle. We need to just go down one aisle, turn, and then go up the other aisle. Like it, at that point, once you scaled it up, we were like, oh, that's way inefficient. Yeah. Maybe walking up and down one aisle isn't that bad. But once you like scale it up, it was it was very different. So we're constantly thinking ahead. You know, what if if we put drawers on this wall, where are we gonna move after this when we run out of room here? If we're doing this, how do we so we're thinking of everything, even it may not look like it, but we're trying to think of things ahead um, so that we're expecting what's going to become a problem in the future and how can we solve that problem now or in a couple weeks or whatever before we run into the true problem. Um, right. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I, I definitely uh, agree with with all that, that it, it's it basically just comes down to, um, you know, where are we going to be in a year and is what's working right now going to work in a year? You know. Yeah, we had a discussion the other day. I don't remember what it was about, but it was like this really big thing. Oh, it was yeah, it was working. It was consolidating lots versus not consolidating lots. And we've kind of decided we're going to do a mix of both to an extent. But we kind of decided that while we're in the garage here, we're going to continue consolidating lots into their own separate drawers um, because, in theory our plans for the move and how we would arrange a warehouse and stuff would prefer that method. So instead of us making it really confusing here and then moving and having to undo all of what we've done, we're going to try to be prepared to move and continue doing it here, kind of how we're doing it with a, with a little mix of some, a few parts here and there. Cause we did discover that we had like 1900 drawers or something that have a single lot in it, uh, which is a colossal waste of a drawer. So we're we're going to very soon in the next couple of weeks. We have a ton of drawers to go through at the moment that we need to add parts to. But once we have some time and some, uh, or once we run out of drawers again, uh, we are going to go through those 1,900 drawers and move those pieces into a drawer where there's like five lots in a drawer because that just doesn't make sense. And so, yeah, that yeah. But that was one of those things where in the beginning I was just stubborn and I was like one lot per per side of the drawer. Why? I don't really know. I don't really have a reason. That's just how I thought it should be done. So I was like, that's what I want. And it to me, it made sense. But now we've reached a point where just because I still like that concept, because then that piece has a home. And if we get more, it has a home already for it. Uh, I, I, just mean, need, I just need to step aside and be like, yeah. that doesn't make sense, actually. We need to start mixing pieces and, together. And we both do that stuff all the time. And the funniest thing is when one of us is super adamant about something. And then a month, two months, six months later, that person suggests the change completely <laughs> yeah. unaware that they were arguing against it last time. Oh, yeah. well, um, <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. With something like lots, you know, like there's a lot of different variables that come into it, right? It's not something, a simple decision. Um, yeah. As we were talking about shipping and quick shipping processes, it's very easy to decide where to put your tape dispenser or, you know, or other like your printer or whatever, because you could time it if you really wanted to, right? Are you mm -hmm. the kind, are you the guys who, would you time something that you, like if you move something to a different position, would you ever time how long it added to your processes or anything like that or no? 
probably not a tiny change like that, but we've definitely timed certain processes like uh, how long it takes to catalog 20 pounds of bricks, just so we have an idea when we go give it to someone. But I wouldn't say we really have timed. We have timed packing only because we have YouTube viewers who are like, oh, I can pack this fast. And so in our mind, we're like, we're trying to figure out, okay, are we at the level that they're at and is what we're doing efficient? Honestly, a lot of what we're waiting for is PayPal to load <laughs> when it comes to printing out a shipping label. But no, I can, you know, we can throw a box up there, fold it, put a piece of tape on it, put the pieces in a bubble, tape it back up really quick. And then, you know, if the label was ready to be printed or whatever, or it's printing or whatever it is, easily rip that off and stick it on. That's another thing with efficiency too. Sorry, I'm going to keep going. Um, the thermal printer that we got, oh, it's like little things like that. It costs you money. That one was very cheap and fortunately it still works, but little things like that it incredibly increase efficiency. The fact that we don't have to walk over to a normal printer tape and and you know or and flip the paper around or label whatever you would do. Some people have the two labels on a piece of paper, some people have just a piece of paper where they'll cut it out and tape it on. It doesn't matter what it is. The thermal printer is the fastest thing there is, unless they had a printer that printed on the envelope for you. Maybe that'll be a thing one day. I don't know. But like so many things uh, like that little thing or uh, the barcode scanner that we came up with in, I mean, long over a year and a half ago yeah, now almost. The, the barcodes, yeah. I mean, I don't know for certain, but I would say the barcodes are in definitely the top three things that have, you know, saved the store, you know, yeah, the, uh, hundreds, probably, well, I don't know about hundreds of hours, but dozens of hours by now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. it, to scan a barcode is so much quicker than typing it in, <clears throat> in addition to the fact that unless you really mess up somehow, it's not going to type it in wrong versus myself when I know I will type it in wrong. So maybe that's efficiency because we scan that barcode now, even if it took the same amount of time that it would to type it in, if it fixes the problem now or doesn't cause a problem, then we're not going digging through every single drawer later uh, to try to find that piece. So. Yeah, the barcode system was a, was a great thing that that happened for sure. Not to mention the sanity that it probably added to you guys, right? Like, I get, typing in everything is like when it comes to the drawer numbers and stuff like that would be it would just make everything a lot more um, cumbersome when you're when you're uploading. Yeah, um, we we didn't do that for very long, so I'm not entirely sure uh, how <laughs> how much of a difference there really is, to be honest. So I was thinking, you know, like you know, we can time how long it takes to pack an order. But with lock count, um, you know, there, it's not just about time, right? It's not just about how long we could time how long it takes to take out a piece or to take out, you know, like to pack or to take out an order, fulfill an order from those drawers. But then you, you got to factor in the space, right? So that's where the challenge really becomes, right? Like you've got a certain amount of drawers. So the variable of time is not the only variable we need to think about, right? You've got to, yeah. you, right? you need to figure out how to drop a little bit in time efficiency to gain in space and real estate, as we know, is one of the most important things. So yeah. like, so has that been difficult to kind of like, I get like, I, I've seen a lot of writers who kind of changed their minds on it halfway through and they've gone back and kind of redone the way that they're structuring their inventory because they realized that maybe they should be adding two lots in the drawer or changing the way they think about it. So it sounds like that's one of the more challenging kind of things when it comes to balancing efficiency versus space. Yeah. I have started, I did a whole bunch of consolidation this morning and I've started putting multiple lots until, so I don't just cram them in. I think about it intelligently, you know, based off of what would be easiest to still pick. 
without having to dump the drawer. But I've started putting, you know, sometimes it's two lots. Maximum I put in, I think, was five for something because there was like some one by one tiles. But, you know, uh, I, I think there definitely is a compromise to be made there. Um, but what I would kind of consider the rule is if you have to dump the drawer out, then, you know, it's it's probably not worth it. But up until that point. That is what a lot of people you know, do. Though. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and we, we see, don't have, see yeah, we don't have one of those uh, one of those things yet, which we yeah, do need the, to get. We, so got, we got to get one of those. We, there's but. a lot of uh, people who I would say disagree with us on this for sure. Yeah. The way we're storing our pieces and maybe we're making a mistake. Maybe maybe we're making we a have huge mistake. We, we have, have considered definitely it. considered that we could be doing so much wrong. Um, but again, we're thinking ahead in the future, and we're hoping that in the future, if we can, you know, do what our plans are, what we're doing now makes sense. Yeah. But there are definitely a lot of people that disagree with us on this, and it's a lot. So many people that we've talked to that have almost pushed us into just pouring all the pieces in one drawer. But but we haven't done that yet. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the the big argument on that will come when we reach a point where we can no longer fit any drawers in here, and we have to exactly. decide: do we want to spend money on rent, or do we not want to spend money on rent? And that is probably when the decision will be made as to whether or not we're gonna, you know, stuff fifty lots in a drawer, as Chris says. Yep. Um, but up until then, my, my assumption is it will kind of steadily increase the amount of lots per drawer, but I don't think we'll hit 50 lots per drawer yes. until that point. You mentioned the real estate and uh, versus the lot, and, and that's definitely uh, where we're at right now, especially considering the Acro Mills cost $41.40 or whatever it is now. Like mm -hmm. it, It's no longer the $33 it was, and we would get it for like 28 usually. So we've almost stopped completely. I'll buy one here and there on Amazon if it's used uh, when it's like $30 or, or $34 or whatever. Um, but currently we, we have a ton of drawers that need more stuff in it because they're half empty. But um, I mean, you can kind of see that behind us. There's a lot of empty holes on the wall. Um, but we only have three columns on the wall on this side. I don't know if everyone knows the orientation of the garage, but uh, there's only three columns over there when we can fit five columns plus another four columns plus another floating wall. So a lot of people are arguing we need to stuff the drawers we have now because then we don't need to spend money. But long term, we're going to be spending money on those Acromill units anyway. So I don't know that it makes a massive difference if right now, currently, we are stuffing the drawers and saving money in the moment, or if we are not stuffing the drawers and buying the Acromills units, and in six months down the road, we can then stuff all the drawers we have and no longer have to buy Acromills units. So mm -hmm. I don't know if Oh, someone said over $46 now for Acros. That's uh, crazy. I, I that's, really a, that's bad. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so we are out of space. I mean, not exactly right at this exact moment, but we're out of space when it comes to the drawers that we have available. But we're not out of space um, to continue adding drawers. That'll be an interesting moment when we do run out of space to continue adding drawers and we run out of space in the drawers. Um, and that'll be a, a discussion that we have to have that Hopefully, we are financially ready enough to uh, to move out of this garage. That's the plan. But we've we had a discussion for a while over should we just move to a space where we know we can expand for a prolonged period of time when we financially can, or should we find should we fill up the garage as much as possible and suffer in here? I guess for a little bit, even if we can financially move out. Um, and so that's still an ongoing discussion. But I think we've decided. 
even if right now we were making tons of money to move, it makes the most sense to save extra money and cram this garage as much as we can. So I know there's viewers who, you know, in 2020 were like, oh, you can move out in 2021. And that was one of our goals at one point. And, you know, now we, we'd say maybe 2022, but it really depends on uh, what point we fill up this garage to its ax absolute maximum capacity. I think it's actually less yeah. monetary based, unless, of course, we uh, can't move out of the garage and stuff. But uh, that's a different yeah. problem we have later. I, I did see a question from Sean Michael about what an Acura Mills drawer is. So I'll just like really quickly. It's ah. basically just a drawer unit. Sometimes they have dividers. They come in sets of 64. There's also big drawers. But uh, it's where we store individual pieces. So I, it's not all specific, these things behind us. It's technically not a specific brand. You know, we use the brand Acro Mills, but we would, you know, we basically call anything that's the same an Acro Mills unit. So do you have any issues with identifying the correct color of a piece uh, of Lego when buying used? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I would say the majority of the colors we have down, it is the light gray and light bluish gray and that middle ground where the light bluish gray has begun to fade or the light gray looks a little bluish like those are the hardest ones other than that i'd say for the most part we've you know all even even a lot of the weird colors we've for the most part figured out yeah um, but we are learning that a lot of that just has to be has to do with the fact that we are around lego yeah so many hours of the day for the last two years because we've started hiring contractors and the contractors definitely have a very difficult time picking up the colors yeah um, especially we have very good lights in here. Most people have, you know, an orange tinted family, you know, family room or dining table light. And, um, you know, so, so it's definitely a, a difficult thing and it was way more difficult early on. Yeah. Um, that, that's the thing that we just learned. These are all, I mean, we shoot a lot of videos in here, so we have tons of extra light, but also there's white light, um, white as in daylight balanced light, um, versus your standard like incandescent bulb. And we've we've tested it like I've seen it at my parents' house versus in this room, how different the light grays or light gray and light bluish gray. They look almost identical under an incandescent bulb, um, depending how messed up they are and stuff. But like so half of what we get back is light gray and light bluish gray mixed together because they simply can't see the difference in color um, underneath the light they have. So we've debated about getting like a desk lamp type thing or like a small thing that we can hand out to them that's a like a daylight white balanced as well um, so that they can see the colors a little mm -hmm. bit better um, because I think we have had a lot less of a problem identifying colors because we've been doing it for two years now and the biggest learning thing is new pieces so when you buy new sets and you part it out it tells you what the colors are it's it's almost difficult to mess up the colors in that case because you can count the quantity and the piece and it's like it tells you what color it is and when you're picking orders, you learn so much. Um, so doing the use has definitely been uh, easier for us than, than someone who I would say hasn't dealt with Lego colors and just starts with all used. Yeah. Wow. And do you feel like, um, and I think this is a good segue because I did want to go into the new versus used um, discussion. And like, I guess what led to that because you you did kind of touch on it and some of it was related to the lock count expansion and kind of the the breadth versus depth but was that like what kind of was there any other considerations that led to you doing that is some of it related to margin you can get used lego for good prices if you know where to look um that was... the trade-off is is kind of a lot more work and, and stuff like that what led to that decision 
Yeah, the, the used was, a, a margin was originally a motivating factor, and it still is, but after really crunching the numbers and having done it, the margins are different, but barely, you know, uh, especially once you count late, late California labor. Uh, you know, we have to pay a lot. It's very difficult to motivate people around here because, I mean, to be honest, you know, they can go to Walmart and get $15 an hour. So we have to compete with that. And um, so at least around here, the margins pretty much end up being the same um, after everything. But originally, you know, we were looking at it as, you know, holy crap, that's uh, an eight times margin when you just look at the price versus the sale. But there's so many other costs that go into it that do not exist with new. You know, Evan and I, we technically get paid, but you know that's kind of a different labor. You know, if we're looking at right. contractors if, and employees, new is basically free because we do it ourselves, right? You know, we we get salary, so how many hours we spend on it doesn't really make a difference. Um, but with the used, we cannot catalog and sort. We cannot spend all of our time doing that. There's simply not enough hours. So it has to be outsourced and that costs a lot. So yeah, in order to continue expanding, I think we've hit a point where if it's just Paul and I, I mean, we could continue expanding because there's other people that are doing it with stores the size of us and making lots of orders and growing and stuff. But I think bringing on other contractors outside of just the two of us is allowing us to focus on other things while we still have in theory you know, kind of two or three other people outside of the two of us continuing to work um, when we're responding to emails or filming a video for YouTube or whatever it is, um, which are oftentimes things that don't directly make the business money. You know, in theory, there's a lot of things that do. If you're sorting Lego, it, it will directly make the business money. But if you're replying to an email or of a question that someone asked you, do you have this part or when you get that, like it, that doesn't directly make you money. Um, so Paul and I can do a lot more of that kind of those kind of things while we can have a contractor sorting the pieces, cataloging the pieces. Um, even on Mondays, we have a cataloger, not a cataloger, a contractor come in and pack orders, which again, also directly makes money because we're getting those pieces to that customer. So, yeah, yeah, there's a lot more management, I guess, type thing like running payroll is something that takes a little bit of time each week, um, which isn't something I think that we initially were factoring into how much time, not that it takes hours, but it takes time out of a day that we could have, in theory, been adding 50 new lots or something. So um, it just depends. There's a lot of little things that add up when you bring other people on. But in theory, bringing other people on gives you more time to continue doing other things so you're more efficient than just yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like with a contractor and kind of outsourcing some of the work, um, were there any like so far horror stories slash like real challenges or difficulties that you would call as a watch out for anyone who's considering maybe getting some help in turnover um, rate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've never really had any high. theft. We've never had any thefts or anything like True, that, yeah. but the turnover rate is absolutely insane. And I think that's partially our fault in terms of not vetting people well enough, but basically we kind of just give it to anybody who's not shady and wants to do it. And that causes a really high turnover rate. And the really frustrating thing about that is they'll do half of it and then return it to us which means that we had got to find someone to do half a bin. No, we just pour the rest of it in another bin. Yeah, the, but... the benefits of that, if we can have a quick enough turnover rate, 
is we kind of get free labor. <laughs> um, if they only do a quarter of a bin and then we give another bin to someone else and they do a quarter, like in theory, four people makes up one bin now. It was free. <laughs> yeah, but Not I exactly. Mean, but... You got to spend so much time on uh, I know, showing the next them door. Yeah, no. Um, uh, that, that's been a challenge with uh, contractors has been the turnover rate. Um, and then consistency. I think some people, again, from the beginning are kind of motivated a little bit. And then it starts to fall off from them as well. Um, and keeping them motivated and consistent is hard as well. Yeah. So, And something yeah. we've noticed. And at first, it was Chris who kind of told us this first. And at first, I mean, we believed that he was able to do it. But he lives in a very different place than we do. And we didn't think we could do it. But getting families involved. Um, hmm. Our contractor, his whole family kind of helps yeah. do all the bins. And we're not paying each of them the full amount. You know, the, the, it's, it's per bin. Um, and they just want to help. And uh, Chris seems to have many families. I, I mean, he's here in chat, so he can confirm this if I'm misremembering. But um, many families that just want to help. And because, you know, the kid or whatever gets involved. And that definitely is a huge boost to efficiency. So I, I we haven't really talked about it. But I expect maybe kind of engineering for that, if we can, is something in the future. Okay, Chris, you're a genius. That is that is fantastic right there. That's a great idea. So we have um, the same issue on our side. Like we have a book, a used book, Amazon business outside of Lego. And yeah, turnover has been a, a problem in the past um, with that as well. Families is total genius because they'll train each other, right? Like it's, you know, mm -hmm. it really removes a lot of that onboarding cost um, to yeah. be able to have kind of multiple people that are helping each other out and kind of uh, propping each other up like that. That's, that's amazing. Um, so let's run back to the chat real quick. We have a question from uh, Vulture. Do you sell retired sets? So do you guys invest at all in, in sets or it's all just parting out? No. Currently it's all just parting out and separating used pieces. It's something we've talked about. Um, and I've actually watched your channel a little bit on the, how to try to understand it and stuff, but it's not something we've taken on yet, partially due to the lack of a proper storage space for sets longer term than just a few weeks before we part them out. So mm -hmm. who knows if in the beginning or in the future, that'll be something we end yeah. up doing when we have a space that makes sense to properly store sets and put them on a shelf that can be safer um, than this environment they're currently in. But currently, we don't really sell any sets on BrickLink, actually. Um, occasionally, we'll list a poly bag here and there. But that's also kind of because shipping uh, is a pain when it's a big box or something. Um, so yeah, there's a variety of reasons. But no, yeah. currently we do not sell retired sets on BrickLink. You can, and people do, and they make good money doing it. So it's definitely an option, but it's not an yeah. avenue we've gone. We, we just, because we've talked about diversifying into other things. We've talked like trading cards, stuff like that, other toy-related stuff. And we haven't done any of that yet because we just don't have the... Um, I guess the brain power to be doing that many things simultaneously, you know, we're still learning this market. We're not experts yet. Yeah. And so having to learn a whole new market and understand that and then come up with a whole new logistics workflow, like even for sets, it's probably not understanding a completely different market, but it is coming up with a whole new logistics mm -hmm. system for it. And we want to get this up to a point where it's basically self-sustaining and, and then we can, you know, figure out whether we want to diversify and stuff. And then we have another one here from uh, W. 
about your buying strategy. So uh, what part of value do you guys look for? Is it 2X or 2.5? I think I think I can answer this for you guys from your content is 3X, is that right? Generally three, that's, that's the goal. Um, occasionally, if it's a set that we look at and we think the pieces are gonna sell quick enough that it makes sense, we'll go 2.5. Um, and then if it's something like a minifig blind bag that if we cut it open and it takes, who knows, 45 seconds to two, you know, to, a minute or two to upload, um, and it only parts out for two times the price, we'll go with that um, as well. But it definitely depends on what the set is, but three is usually the goal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if anyone is watching who doesn't really know what we're talking about here, it's it's the price that you pay for a set and then the, the value that you can get by selling all the parts. And what's the difference? Is it, you know, we're, we're looking for three times more um, the cost of the set uh, to make sure you're factoring in time and investment and then, obviously your profit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Starkiller asks, uh, it's semi-related to the question we had about colors. So how do you know which parts and colors are the best ones to look for? Um, I mean, I, like, do you guys look for parts? Do you do any kind of like sourcing pieces on the pick a brick or anything like that or to try and fill um, holes in your inventory or? or I would say we actually used to do more of it, but it was never a dedicated part of our business practice. You used to occasionally go to pick a brick. Mm -hmm. there, there, I mean, there are certain things that I would say you should always have bricks and you should always have plates. But the thing is we get so many of those coming in with used and even people that buy almost all new, if they're going to buy anything used, it's usually bricks and plates. So, you know, it's pretty safe to kind of rely on your used for that. And I mean, we can fill up one of our 20 pound buckets with bricks after a couple weeks of sorting. Yeah. So there's no shortage of that. Um, other stuff, minifig ratio is definitely a consideration when picking sets. The higher, the more minifigs to less pieces, number one, it can kind of decrease labor a little bit. But number two, um, minifigs will sell fast usually and they'll sell for high price, especially if it's Ninjago uh star wars or like whatever the hot theme of that particular moment is um those will sell really fast i mean we can mark up star wars minifigs a pretty decent amount and they'll still sell you know within a few weeks of being uploaded sometimes they sit for a long time but on the whole i'd say they sell pretty fast and then jago is the unexpected ace <laughs> in the hole i Gotta say, I don't know a ton about Ninjago. Everybody's told me I need to sit down and watch the show, but um, uh, those 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 minifigs they they sell. And Ninjago, you usually they have pretty good margins. So I mean, I would highly recommend if you're looking for new sets, if you're trying to start out and trying to figure out what sets to buy, Ninjago sets with minifigs because those minifigs sell so fast. I would say. Uh... If you're just looking for specific like pieces and parts as opposed to like a whole set, maybe the classic sets are great because mm -hmm. they're relatively basic pieces. So they'll give you your bricks um, and your kind of standard bricks. And like, I promise your light bluish gray bricks will go pretty quick. Um, your black bricks will probably go pretty quick. Your light gray bricks probably also relatively quick. Um, so those are definitely, you know, we, we sell the most black pieces each month by like a 50% margin over any other piece. Um, wow. So we sell a, a lot of black pieces compared to other colors. And then it's like uh, dark bluish gray. And so if you're looking at a set, um, you can also, it's a lot more work, but part of it is just something you'll learn over time. But you can click into the set, see the pieces, and you can actually open up each piece 
and go into the piece's history on BrickLink and look how many times it's sold over the past six months uh, and what quantity and, and all that stuff. So you can do more research into it, but definitely standard bricks and plates um, are, at least I pick a gajillion plates, I swear. Like so many plates go yeah. out of this store. Um, and I would say the standard colors that you think of when you think Lego actually sell more than uh, the specialty ones, just because people think of that and they want to build with that. So classic sets, um, as long as you can get the ones at the right price, um, like the 1500 piece sets for 40 bucks, those are the best ones because they're a great price and the part out value usually is about three times. But there are some classic sets where the part out value is like 1.5 and just don't waste your money on those. Um, but if you can find the classic sets at a great three times part out value or higher, uh, those pieces are going to sell and it gives you a really good start to your inventory if you're just starting out. Something else I'd like to say is, like you'd said with black, if you can look at a set and say, I think I could build something Star Wars inspired with this, that is definitely a consideration as well. Um, black, light gray, white, dark bluish gray all sell super fast, so... That's definitely something to keep an eye on. Okay, they're, they're fantastic answers. And I, I really want to pause and kind of just like highlight mm -hmm. something that a theme that ran through everything that you just said, which was which was demand, right? How fast the things are selling. And like this is, it's another thing that I think is just not talked about enough with like with both with selling parts, selling sets, selling other items, right? It's kind of like too much focus on the profit and that part of value of, you know, 3X and thinking, oh, great, I'm going to make 3X on my investment here. We need it all to sell through, right? We need we need the stuff to sell. Mm -hmm. And yep. you guys really focused on that in those different examples that you gave in terms of Ninjago minifigs, they're selling. How fast is the stuff selling? What colors are selling fast? It's all about being sure that you're going to have the sell through and yeah. using whatever tools you can to know that, the sales are there and that's all coming down to the demand that's there. Thankfully, BrickLink is great at this, right? Like a lot of other sites, they don't give you a whole lot when it comes to checking the demand on eBay. You can go and mm -hmm. see recent sales, but it's three months of data and you know, it's, it doesn't give you the full picture, but yeah. BrickLink give you numbers on sales for specific parts and minifigs. Um, so that's, that's awesome. I just kind of wanted to call that out and Paul, I also want to agree with your point about Ninjago because uh, it's the same in in my world of investing in sealed sets. Mm -hmm. Ninjago is also the the hidden gem that I think a lot of people haven't been focusing enough on. And mm -hmm. some of these smaller sets with tons of minifigs in, like the gamer market that just retired in July had, I think, nine minifigs and it was a $30 set that you could get for 25% off or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, some of this stuff is just fantastic Uh deals on on Ninjago and not enough focus on them. Um, I, so I want to expand a little bit on the idea of sourcing sets. We kind of touched on it a little bit. And um, so how, like, I, I think I've seen in some of your content that you buy some stuff from eBay when it's like uh, open box, right? It's like, um, uh, you know, some bags that are unopened when you were doing more sealed stuff, I guess. And um, Walmart clearance, of course, as well, is when it comes to the sealed buying, are those your two kind of main sources or do you have kind of other strategies and, and thoughts on sourcing product? The, I, those, and then I'm sure Evan will, will throw something else in there are our established sources. But as we've grown, we've noticed that sometimes people will approach us and try and sell off stuff um, from one guy 
Uh, I don't know what the average part out. We did the math on it, but he he basically shipped us a, a pretty big box of sealed sets because I think Five he was big boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like t uh, there's a video somewhere if someone wants to go find that, but um, of us unboxing it all. But he sent us a ton of stuff um, for pretty cheap, and that was because he wanted to get out of the business or switch or something. I don't exactly remember. It was a long time ago. But um, there have been numerous, there have been several, not numerous, but several instances like that, where because we have the YouTube channel and because people know about us and they know that we're looking to buy other people's stores and stuff, they'll just come to us and say, hey, do you want to buy my store? Hey, do you want to buy these sets? Um, and there's another guy who lives kind of close to us who runs a Brickling store. And I don't know where he finds them, but he finds these crazy good <laughs> deals, especially on Star Wars sets. And he'll Discord message me and be like, Hey, I'm gonna buy a bunch of these, but I need to buy some more. Can you also? Do you want any uh, and stuff like that? So networking, just like in any business, no matter what it is you're doing, um, you gotta talk to people. And I I have social anxiety, so it's really rough. But you you just gotta you know for other people in the same boat, you just gotta force yourself to go talk to people and make friends because they're gonna come back to you and ask if you want to buy stuff for cheap. So. Yeah, the uh, you mentioned eBay and uh, and Walmart. The Walmart clearance, the two times a year that in theory they do it after the holidays and then kind of mid or early summer, I guess. Uh, this past summer for us wasn't great. Even the holidays weren't great. Last summer wasn't great. But 2020, the very beginning of 2020 was the best Walmart clearance uh, we'd seen. It's actually the first one we'd really been to. But we're hoping this holiday season it all kind of picks back up. Um, but then in addition to that, uh, eBay was for a period of time something we did, uh, but it's actually, we've found it's really, really difficult now to get a part out value that makes sense on eBay um, because eBay charges all the fees and stuff. So the seller has to charge more. So it's, it's harder on there. Um, occasionally we've bought sets on Bricklink even. Uh, if they're going to ship without the box, it might make sense to buy a few on Bricklink um, or Target, Amazon, Kohl's. Um, mm, yeah, that's a good. Not one. that they are consistent, but they occasionally will have deals that make sense. Target occasionally runs like uh, for every fifty dollars you spend, you get a ten dollar gift card. So it's like, okay, I'll go spend five hundred dollars, and now I have a hundred bucks. And if I did the math right there, I think something like that. Um, and it's like, okay, well now I got a hundred dollars off six hundred dollars worth of Lego sets. So yeah. that, in addition to sales, kind of all add up and stuff. So you just have to look around. But Walmart for us, and we haven't been searching for a ton of new right now because we're spending a ton on used, but. Walmart, um, hopefully, this this coming holiday season at the end of it will be another good good time to pick up a lot of sets from. A lot of people actually have uh, have had a great experience with Walmart in the U.S. At least us, for whatever reason, even though there's yeah. probably twelve WalMarts within half an hour of us, there's I think it's just too dense of a populated area in Southern yeah. California that the second there's any clearance, someone has it, um, and unfortunately, we are not the first ones there, so <laughs> not entirely sure. Yeah, it can be pretty hit or miss. Uh, we have a couple yeah. of comments on this topic. So uh, Janelle, best sourcing sets forums. That is an interesting mm -hmm. thought. So going to forums to source sets. Walmart clearance is kind of just a hobby for fun. It is fun. I do enjoy um, doing Walmart clearance. And then Ben, local pickup is good on eBay. And um, Janelle, again, eBay damage boxes for larger sets is definitely good. And that is definitely a more common problem with large boxes um i don't know how many times mm -hmm. i've been to walmart and had the, the hogwarts castle completely destroyed on the shelf <laughs> like and they're still selling uh -huh, yeah 
Yeah, and kind of on the damage boxes, I have not had super great luck with it, but I have tried looking at like return uh, bulk websites and stuff where people will auction off, you know, large returns. Um, I'm never fast enough. I have occasionally seen sold lots that have pretty good deals in them. The issue is there's usually a lot of other junk in there as well. So you really kind of have to look at the photos and try and figure out how much Lego is actually in there. Just because all you can see is Lego doesn't mean there's just Lego. Um, but if someone has a lot more patience and a way faster trigger finger than I do or we do, um, that is definitely something that you can look at as well. That's a great idea. That is a great idea. And Ben has added a little bit more here on local pickup. Um, remove some competition. That's a good point as well. And saves on shipping. Um, Starkiller, thank you so much for the $10 super chat. Um, thanks for the great feedback. Ben mentions, um, I did a returns pilot. Wouldn't really do it again unless it had more Lego in it. Yeah, to, to your point, Paul, I think he's ratifying what you said there. Um, fantastic. Okay, I want to start moving in the direction of closing it out and giving you some time yeah. back, guys. You've been very generous with your time. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about, you've mentioned a couple of times about your, your vision for the future and expanding and moving, you know, potentially into a, a warehouse. Um, what are some of the, and you've kind of touched on this, but but like, what are some of the, I guess, the dependencies that you need to see before you feel like you're going to be ready to take that step? Uh, what is, you know, what does that kind of road look like? Um, you know, and it, will it be, the case where maybe you're going to expand into some other divert you mentioned diversification evan um some you know other ways of, of of selling lego or is it a case of really doubling down on use the new parts and just scaling up your your bricklink store as much as possible or how does that kind of road look like in your minds i think uh the process of getting to a point where we can move out uh for us is going to focus on the bricklink store itself once we move out, uh, I feel like if the BrickLink store is maintaining itself and financially is doing well enough that it can pay for the, the rent and the utilities and everything that comes along with moving out, as well as continuing to expand the store, because the plan isn't just to move out and then maintain the store at whatever size we move out at. It's to move out so we can continue expanding. Um, and we haven't set a goal as to what our stopping point mm -hmm. is. So I don't know how big we want to get, you know, there's probably a graph that we could make somewhere where we could see eventually your, your profits stop going up and they level out and where they level out, that's where we want to hang out. But we're definitely not there yet. And considering there's many stores 10 times, 20 times bigger than us, we can continue growing a lot. So the path to moving out is going to be focused entirely on BrickLink and continuing with the same kind of model we're doing now selling individual pieces. Who knows, there might be a set here and there, but uh, before we move out, nothing's going to change. After we move out, who knows? There, we've talked about things, but it'll honestly depend if we feel financially that anything else can continue to play alongside the Lego uh, piece selling as well as the piece selling is going. If something takes over the piece selling, who knows? But yeah, for moving out, it's, it's going to be pieces uh, on the wall. Yeah, I, I think... I think another big part of that is just the space is optimized for that. And so if we were to hard pivot between now and when we would move out, which is hopefully within the next year, year and a half, you know, so somewhere around there, um, it would require a lot of reworking the store, you know, and hard pivoting. 
Um, and so it's unless whatever we change to has insane margins, it's probably just not worth it. Um, but yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then when you get there, um, you know, how does that, how does that world look a little bit different than right now? Are you thinking maybe you would have a team in place? You would have contractors coming in and working mm -hmm. from the warehouse and, and those kind of things. Yeah, that would be the plan. I think there'll still be contractors outside of the warehouse that are doing sorting. Cause it doesn't probably make sense to rent the square footage for someone to come in and do that when they can do it at home for a similar or for significantly cheaper if you're counting in the square footage and stuff. But um, we've talked about how our picking process will be a little different, how we can have people come in every single day to pick orders as opposed to only one or two days a week. And then Paul and I do it the rest. Um, and I know Paul and my plan would be to uh, not, not very initially, but over the course of a few months or so to take a smaller step back into more of a managerial position where we're just managing people and employees and stuff. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen right when we move. But the goal with the move is for it to essentially be a self self running um, place where we have a manager who's in there or someone who's in a more managed position where they can uh, fix problems can email the people if there's an issue with it kind of how Chris from the Great Brick Lab has his guys also dealing with the normal day-to-day -day tasks. Uh, mm -hmm. And Chris kind of just overlooks like payroll and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of our plan. Um, and yeah, the, the goal is definitely to have more people come in and be em potentially employees as opposed to just contractors. Obviously, there's some uh, unforeseen expenses currently that we need to figure out for yeah. all that. But eventually, make it a business that can sustain other people as well as just ourselves. Well, fantastic. And what a vision that is. And hopefully you guys are going to continue to catalog that journey on, on the channel, on YouTube. Uh, the plan is to yeah. go. There's no stopping idea. There's no plan to stop right now. So, uh, yeah. Great. And everybody who's watching, make sure you do go and check them out just to break in the bucket on YouTube. And I've also included a link to their BrickLink store um, in the description here. So um, check them out if you are ordering um, on BrickLink. Thanks. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Honestly, it's been a fantastic um, discussion. I've learned thank a lot. I know those watching have probably learned a lot. Um, so thank you and all the best with everything that you have coming up. Thank you so much. Thank and you. thank you to everyone who tuned in.